Intimate? Are we intimate? Small. Oh, small anyway. Well, let's get out. All right. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, Krishna was protecting all of you. He protected you as long as he could from having to hear from me. But your luck ran out, didn't it? So here I am again. Notice how half the room left when they were And I could clear a room quicker than a fire drill. So uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about a crazy little thing called love. One of our favorite subjects because that's pretty much what we uh, Hare Krishnas are all about. We're trying to uh, reignite our dormant love for God. That's what this place is all about. Uh, we have it, but it's kind of covered over. It's like uh, dust on a mirror. You can have a mirror and it gets dusty and it won't perform the duties of a mirror anymore. It won't reflect, you see. So it's kind of like uh, as you go to the park nowadays, you see the grass and it's different than it was in the summertime, wasn't it? It's not green anymore. I mean, it's just, it's not growing. They don't have to cut it so much. So is it dead? No, it's dormant. It's gone dormant. It's gone dormant because the environment uh, that's around it right now is not conducive to thriving. So the environment is not favorable, so it goes into a dormant stage, you see? So uh, we want to take your dormant love for God and awaken it and make it thrive again, like the grass does when the environment gets conducive. You see, very soon the environment will change and the grass will spring back. It'll be green and healthy. Oh, wait a minute, I'm in Arizona. It doesn't do that here, does it? Oh no, it, it does. You water and, and water and water, but trust me, in other places of the world it does. The grass gets green. And uh, I notice when I travel east, I can tell when I get to Texas because there's water in the rivers. You know, I thought that was pretty funny. You see, in Arizona, they don't have water in the river. Well, I thought it was funny. So uh, we're going to try to awaken your dormant love of Godhead. You have it. Uh, it's what you are all about. So, uh, let's focus on that word love. Uh, is love a limitation? Is it a freedom? And is it fulfillment? What do you think? Anybody want to offer a, a guess? Take a stab at it. Anybody? All it, of the above. All the above. Exactly right. 
So we all want freedom. Yeah. We all want to be free. Oh, and we all want love. So it kind of seems like the two don't go well together, do they? It's confining, isn't it? Or is it? Does anyone think differently? Am I wrong? I could be wrong. Not likely, but it's possible. <laughs> you see, love is... So I want to be free. And yet, I want to be deeply in love. Now, what kind of love do I want? Do I want the kind of love to where um, the first time that I meet someone and find out, or, or the first time I learn someone's name is uh, the morning after? There's a lot of that kind of love in the world. Or someone that I team up with and I'm with for a while, and in the beginning, it's fabulous. They're the greatest person. And then all of a sudden, they're the most rotten person. You see that uh, material relationships do like that. They have what seems like a big beginning. It's big and exciting. Uh, and then it kind of has some duration. And towards the end, uh, it's uh, not so pleasant. They're not friends anymore. As a matter of fact, you a lot of times they don't like each other at all, you see. That is, is that love. You see, we want to redefine what love is. Love means you and I make ourselves vulnerable to each other. You see, that's what lovers do. I have so much trust and faith in you. And how can there be love without trust? If I don't trust you, and if I think I love you, I'm kind of loony, or I need some adjustment, you see. <laughs> That's just, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so for me to actually love you, we need to trust each other, you see? So uh, how can you trust something you don't know? So we're going to have a love affair with God. How are we going to trust God? Just faith? That would be blind faith. I'm trusting God because, well, I know I should. It's the right thing to do, I think. I'm pretty sure, you see. If you are going to love someone, you get to, uh, you need to really get to know them really pretty well. Not just a little bit, pretty well. You need to get to know what about them. What is it about uh someone that you truly love? Is it their physical appearance? That might be part of it in the beginning. What is it? When we love someone, what is it that we truly love? I'm talking love that will endure. Bodies change. But we need to get to know the personality of the person that we want to love or that we're going to love. It's the personal traits of the individual that are truly attractive. So this personality, uh, the living entity, is an eternal personality. You are a soul. You're an eternal soul. You have an eternal personality. So you may have developed 
many material personalities as you take different bodies. And in this body, I think I've developed a particular personality, you see, but I have an eternal personality that I haven't discovered yet, you see. I have an eternal personality that the Supreme Godhead finds very attractive. The same is true with you and everyone. Every living entity has an eternal personality that the Supreme Lord finds extremely attractive, you see? So we need to uncover your original eternal personality. We need, you should be interested in that. It goes beyond what your current political beliefs, societal beliefs, uh, social standing, it goes beyond all of that, you see? Your hobbies and your bucket list, you know, it's far beyond that. It's you, the soul, that eternal living entity, and your eternal personal relationship with the most lovable entity, God, the source of love. Sometimes people say, uh, well, God is love. Well, that is somewhat true, but it's not the full story. You see, God is the source of love. That's like saying, you know, there's water that comes um, from a big uh, aquifer, a spring, and it turns into like a, a river. And so you could say uh, a spring is this water. That's kind of true. The water came from the spring, the hole in the ground that where the aquifer pulsates water out. That's kind of true, but actually there is an actual spring, which is the source of the water, you see? So God is love, but let's not stop there. Take it a step or two further if you're interested in finding out something about this uh, supreme personality. How do you know God's got a personality? A lot of people disagree, don't they? God is just energy, or God is just the universe. God is, God is love, you see. So uh, logically, we can prove that to one another and to ourselves. Uh, if we believe in God, if you don't, then, that, then I can understand how you could say, I don't think... There is a God, so therefore God doesn't have a personality. But if you believe in God, I think we would all agree, those of us who are theists, we would believe that God is the supreme. That is which com complete in everything. That from which everything has cometh. Everything has come from God. So for God to be that supreme source of everything, it has to have everything. If it doesn't have it, then it is not complete, and therefore everything cannot come from it, right? So if there is personality, then that supreme thing has to have it. Well, at the same time, he's unmanifest. 
because he's God, he can do that. He has his unmanifest. And yet, if you go further down the stream, you find the spring. You find the source of that in his personality. If God has everything, he has to have a form. He has to. There is form. Where does from, uh, form come from? From the supreme source of everything, you see? So therefore, love and personality come from that supreme. So we need to get to know that supreme personality uh, to develop, uh, rekindle our dormant love for him. So, and we do that um, by getting close to him and maybe becoming affectionate. Now, how do we do that? We need to perform some service to him. It's very pious for him, for us to ask him for everything. You know, oh God, help me. You know, help me get a better grade, help me graduate, help me get a good job, help me get a promotion, help me get a good spouse, money, fame, whatever it is that you want. That's pious to go to God and ask him for it. Uh, but how loving is it? Loving is when you go to him and you say, my Lord, you've always taken care of me. You've given me everything, always. I want to do for you. I want to do something. When we love somebody, we want to do something for them, you see. So in order to awaken this dormant love for God that we have, let's do something nice for him, you see. And we may need his assistance because, you know, when you talk about God, that's a pretty high pay grade, you know? Wow. Am I equipped to please the supreme source of everything? Can I do that? Do I think that much of myself? I mean, you may have gotten a lot of, you know, really good grades and you're very popular in your circle of friends, but do you really believe that you, as you are, have the potency to please the Supreme God. Well, you do, but you have to ask him for his help to please him. You see, if I want to offer some nice uh, fruit to Krishna, he's the origin of the fruit. So I need him to give me resources so that I can demonstrate my love for him. It doesn't come from me. He's the source of everything. So I may, I, I pray to him. Please engage me in your loving devotional service. You see, I pray to him and his energy. Now, what is his energy? We can sum it up by saying his energy also has personality and she is feminine. He has feminine energy. So there we go. God is both male and female. So we want to attract the mercy of that feminine energy, Radharani, Hare, Hara. So therefore we start our prayer with Hare. So we're begging for Radharani to turn her head and say, yes, you called my name. Krishna. Krishna says, oh, yes. That's a very uh, affectionate name, Krishna. 
you see. Uh, it doesn't mean, uh, it's not as awe-reverential as God. It's Krishna, the all-attractive, the sweetest, uh, the source of love, the one you exchange love with. Krishna has uh, unlimited personalities. And yet Krishna says, I am the supreme personality of Godhead. Out of all of my innumerable personalities, this is the one, me, Krishna, that you can embrace and share love with eternally, you see. Not grovel and be on reverent. So, Hare Krishna. Let me repeat that. Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna. Hare, Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama, Rama. Hare, Hare. Prayer starts and ends with Hare. I need her help. I need her to help me engage in serving her beloved and my beloved Krishna, you see. Now when Radharani hears you, Hare, and pray like that, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Hare Hare. We should pray that as an asking. That's just something we have to get done. Oh, well, it's such and such time. Time for me to chant my round. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. No, no, chant it. You know, do it like you mean it. So when uh, Radha hears that prayer from your heart and soul, she says, Krishna, this wonderful devotee wants to serve you. I highly recommend you accept his love and service. And Krishna's going to say, my dear Radha, based on your recommendation, uh, I will embrace this beloved devotee of mine. You see? So that's why we chant this Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Day and night, all the time, the devotees, you get around the Hare Krishna uh, devotee, it won't take you long before you hear that. You see? Uh, that's our constant prayer. That's what we're about. Because we don't lose sight of our goal. What's the goal? Is it just to develop some affection for Krishna? Is it just to develop some love for Krishna? Is it just to demonstrate our love for Krishna? No. We want Krishna. We want him in our arms. We want him in our embrace. We want to be in his embrace. You see? He wants all of you, and we want all of him. And you know what? You are entitled to all of him. That's an eternal entitlement that no one can take away from you. You see? You're entitled to have him, all of him. As they say, lock, stock, and barrel. So... Uh, that is your position with God. No one can take the entitlement away, but you can let it become dormant. No, you can ignore it and focus on other things. 
trying to find love. <laughs> I just thought of a country and western song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. That's a long time ago. Maybe nobody in here. Krishna Nam remembers. You know, I can always count on Krishna Nam. Looking for love in, in too many faces. Yeah, looking for love in too many faces. You know, that sums up a lot of the relationship in this material world. I found love. Oh, God, it was the wrong place. Hey, good to see you. How are you and Betty uh, doing? Betty? God, I got rid of her. I thought you guys were in love. Oh, no. She ran away with Fred. Oh, okay. You see, that's... We've been looking for love in the wrong places. Therefore, uh, we come up empty-handed. It's like the waves at the seaside. They come in and then they leave. They come and they go. Love is not supposed to do that. You as a living entity, you're supposed to be constantly, eternally drowning in love. Never understanding what it means to be without love or to feel unloved or to not be loving. That's not your eternal nature because you think you are who you think you are and then you've imposed certain limitations on yourself. And therefore, I think I'm a human being. I think I'm this body. So therefore now I've just limited myself to my ability to love and understand God. But I am an eternal part and parcel of God. Krishna says, in the first chapter, uh, seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita, the first verse, that if you worship me, if you offer your love to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. Now that's, that's a lot to know. A lot of people say, well, you can never understand God. Well, that's not what he says. Why would he want you to love him and not understand him or to not know him? You know, logic comes from him, you see. So he's always logical. I want you to know me so that you can love me. I'm not going to hide anything from you. So um, let me read one verse from Bhagavad Gita, and then we'll have a question or two. Uh, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, 18th chapter, 65th verse. Does anybody here not have a Bhagavad Gita? Show of hands, you don't. Because if you do, I'm going to give you one for free. That's the best price of the day. Okay, so no freebies tonight. Krishna says, always think of me. Become my devotee. Worship me. Offer your homage to me. Thus, you will come to me without fail. I promise you this because you are my very dear friend. He's talking to you. Always think of me. I love you. I always think of you. I haven't lost my identity. You did. Why, last lifetime you were thinking you were a dog. You were a very good dog. 
Before that, you were thinking you were a cat being chased by a dog. <laughs> Eating a fish. And before, you're, before that, you were a fish. So now here you are thinking you're a human being. But you're my eternal part and parcel. I don't forget who I am, Krishna says. And I don't forget who you are. So I want you to always think of me because I'm real. You're not. You're real, but this persona that you walk around showing the world is not. It's dying with every breath you take. It'll soon be gone. So will the body. It's going to vanish. But you, the eternal owner of this body, you're just going to take another one. If you don't start to think of me. Always think of me. That means if you always think of me, then you'll be thinking of me at the time of death. And then what happens? You get Krishna, all of Krishna. And if you're thinking of something else, you'll get that. And if you would rather have something else than Krishna, then do as you will. We'll see you next lifetime. So are there any questions or comments at this juncture? Yes, sir. I've heard that if you pass away and you happen not to think of Krishna, when Yama grabs you, the super duties will grab you back and bring you back to Krishna. If you've been in church, if you've done offerings, if you've had some time. So not always is there a missing in the mind, but it seems to me that through our devotion, we will get picked up and grabbed if we happen to miss out on that if, bliss if, of staying in Krishna. If you always think of me, Krishna says, always think of me. If you're thinking about something else, well, I should say, Krishna say, well, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you me. That's kind of pushy, isn't it? But if you've always thought of him, yet at the time of death, there's such distress, pain, horror, whatever. Yeah, that for that amount of time, you don't think of Krishna. That's okay. He gets in your mind. He's always in your mind. If we think of Krishna enough, he's in your subconscious. You may knock him out of your conscious for a moment, but he's in your subconscious. Therefore, you're always engaged, either consciously or subconsciously, of your position, you see. But that's a good point. That's true. Krishna will guarantee you. If that's what you want, if you want Krishna, he will see that you get him. He wants you to come to him. And if you want to go to him, it's a done deal. Nothing can stop. Who can inter interfere with that plan? So, great question. All right. According to the clock on the wall, it's time to wrap it up.
And I'd like to thank you all so much. It's so good to be back in Tucson. Hare Krishna. Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah.